Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. Today's message, you say, well, I'm not a parent, you know, I, I'm, I'm in high school, I'm in middle school. This is for you. And, and as we come to an end in this series, I want you to know, if you are parenting, we're here for you. And one of the greatest things that Becky and I did, we really came from dysfunctional families, both Becky and I. And what taught us really to parent, I believe, effectively, is we were a part of a community of faith. And together with other people in the church, we began to to learn things from them, and we were able to do a half-decent job. But today, I, I want to teach you a principle, whether you're parenting or not, whether you're a son or a daughter, a mom or a dad. I didn't say this in the first service, but I want to bring this analogy to it. I believe when someone has a vision or a destiny, it's much like being pregnant. You deliver the vision, then you see it maturate, you see it develop. And I want to begin to teach you a principle for life. This is not just for parenting. And so young people, you should really listen up what you are. I want to teach you a biblical principle and that literally will change your life forever. And that is always begin with the end in mind. Did you hear me? If we begin with the end in mind and work backwards, then we will do a great job. And so this is where we're going today. First, we're going to stop. And if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to begin to talk about learning, living, and becoming throughout every season. So in every season of my life, I want to learn, I want to live, and I want to become. And you may have been great in your 20s, but now you're in your 30s. How is it going? So in every season of life, I want to learn, I want to live, I want to become. Then we're going to go to Acts 15, 18, and we're going to begin to see how did God uh, create things and how does he um, oversee the world. And he began with the end in mind. And I just want you to know, I believe this. There is a time in your life and my life, maybe a parent, a mom or a dad or a young person or a single person, I don't care who you are, where you come and you have this aha moment and you begin to see life does have an end. Now for me, before we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, for me that happened when I was 16. And I had a great life in South Louisiana and I loved being raised where I was raised. Go LSU, they lost. And yesterday, but at the age of 16, in 1976, July, um, June 22nd, my dad died during the night, and he died of a heart attack, and it was instant. And I remember standing at his gravesite, and I really had not experienced death, but I had uh, a knowing that life would come to an end. And at that moment, you're going to think this is strange, but at that moment, God gave me a thought. He gave me a premonition. He spoke to my mind. It wasn't audible, and he said, I now 
will be your father. And in that moment, I began to go all the way to the end of my life. And I thought, what type of person do I want to be? What do I want to know as I come to the end? And how will I live when I come to the end? And I thought, why wait to the end to become that person, to know that or live that? Why don't I start now? And I'm telling you, if you adopt what I'm saying today, you will have a life that will be so off the charge that you cannot even imagine. You know what? I feel this so strongly today. You're saying, well, look, my childhood was jacked up. I didn't have a good beginning. Let me tell you, you can have a good end because you don't go to the beginning and start. You go to the end and you start. Are you with me on that? So let's read in First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read verse 1. Now, if you're new to the letter to the Thessalonians, Paul is writing, and they're, 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 they're having trouble, and they're restless, because some are saying that Jesus Christ has come back a second time. They're, not, they're, they're saying, hey, we think it's the end. He's already come, and we missed it. When I got born again, I gave my heart to the Lord years ago. One of my greatest fears, because we were taught this, okay, we went to a real strict church that if you would go into the movies and if you were at the movies and Jesus came back better known the rapture you would miss and and so you're just like oh no Becky's still here so he didn't come back and and so they're feeling this way and Paul saying hey look in chapter four when the second coming comes everybody is going to know it that the Lord will descend and there will be a trumpet sound the trumpet of an archangel those who died in Christ will be raised and we who remain will be caught up in the air with them then we come to chapter 5 and this is what I want to read to you he says but concerning the times and I want you to underline that if you're online chat times concerning the times and the seasons I want to make a difference between those two words the times and the seasons brethren you have no need that I should write to you. He's saying, just live in readiness. Don't begin to wonder, I wonder when he's coming. Is it going to be a post-trip, a pre-trip, a mid-trip? He's saying, just put all those charts aside. I want you to live ready in the times and the seasons that you're in. Are you with me? And so I want to settle down for a minute, and I want to read something that I wrote. And I believe in this time when I read this to you, if you open up your mind and you are, you can have a God experience, you can have a transforming experience. Here it goes, learning, living, and becoming extends throughout the seasons of life. The big picture of life, get this, is to understand the overreaching arc in the seasons of life and get this and to seek to live well in every season as to minimize regrets and maximize the joys of living did you hear that i want to read that one more time learning living and becoming extends throughout the seasons of life the big picture of life is to understand the overreaching arc in the seasons of life and to seek to live well in each season to minimize regrets and maximize joys. Now, let's go back to that scripture. Paul says this. He says, now concerning the 
times and the seasons. I want to say that again, the times and the season. Now, in the Greek, if you double click on your software, Bible software, that is chronos. And you can see where we get our English word, that is chronology. And it seems like yesterday, we were just with Jude and Sierra and Jack and Lucy. It seems like yesterday, my boy, and he's a man, I want to say my baby, because he's still my baby. He's 32, that he was born, and I was walking him to school. But when we were up in Vacaville, Napa, Jack was at school, and Jude and I went and picked Jack up. And I'm in the car. I shut my eyes, and I kid you not, I thought, Lord, where has the time gone? It seems like yesterday, when he went to preschool, we slicked back his hair with L.A gel. He had a gap shirt, gap underwear, gap shorts, gap socks, gap tennis shoes. I said, Lord, where has the time gone? That's chrono time. And that means succession of time. But then he says this, and the seasons. And the seasons isn't just like fall, winter, spring, summer. But seasons in the Greek is kairos. And that is a divine time. That's an eternal time. That's an aha moment. In the 80s, they came out with the, uh, this booklet. It was called The One Minute Manager, The One Minute Salesperson. Can I tell you, you will never see a book in that series, The One Minute Parent, because it's not going to happen. You know when aha moments happen? When you spend time with your children through the decades, and then all of a sudden a God moment comes in that time. Are you with me on that? Now, let me just say this. I want you to get this. If you are new parents, I remember when Becky and I uh, brought Jude home, I would say this is what you need when you have an infant baby. And I want you to begin to think in decades with me. I want you to think in decades in your life and decades in raising children. Don't think just this moment, oh, we got him in school. But when you bring your baby home, uh, I want you to think of these two words, breath and boundaries. Did you hear that? If you're starting college, you're starting a new business, it's like having a newborn baby, you're going to need breath, but you're going to need boundaries. I have heard people say, I slept like a baby. I thought, you never had a baby because babies don't sleep. Are you with me? So the first year of life, really what you need, that first year, those first 12 months, is you need breath, but you need boundaries. Becky and I, as new parents, and then we forgot how it happened, and we had another one, forgot how it happened, had another one. And after the third one, she says, I'm not having any more, so we got some things changed where that would not happen. (laughs) Now, let me just say this. We were constantly running out of breath, and the number one reason... Please don't parent, listen to me, don't live, don't start a business in life out of breath. And usually we're out of breath because we don't have boundaries. But when you create boundaries, you have breath. And breath speaks of the spirit that gives you energy, that gives you vitality. And it gets you up in the morning and it gives you peace in the night. Are you with me? And so after the first year, then I would say from ages one all the way to five, this is what I would say, you need to get a routine to get a rhythm. Did you hear me? We would then begin to find what was our routine. Now, our biggest mistake in from one to five is that we try to adopt the routines of other people. And when you adopt the routines, I don't care if it's your life, you're in college, you're in business, it does not matter. You're raising a child 
When I adopted the routines of another person, I didn't have the rhythm that God created with me. Becky and I went on a cruise, and we took every dance lesson on the cruise. Kid you not. They had salsa. I mean, I'm trying to merengue. I don't know. You know, but Becky is, how many of you think I'm a better dancer than Becky? <laughs> that was clear. How do you think Becky has more rhythm than I do? Well, yeah, she does, okay? I hate you people. <laughs> now, the worst one was ballroom dancing. You know, oh my, I, we, I kept stepping on her feet, and she kept yelling every time I stepped on her foot, feet or foot. And in the, I said, babe, it's your fault. She goes, it's not my fault. You don't know how to dance. She goes, Jude, you don't have any rhythm. You have two left feet. I go, no, I am the man. I'm the lead Jew. You need to follow me. She goes, I can't follow you because you don't know how to dance. You need to follow me. Now, can I tell you right now, if you choose to raise kids, mom and dad, or do business, hey, hey, you're going to college? If you don't get a routine in college early on, you're not going to have the rhythm to make it through college or anything that you start. It's your routine that determines the rhythm of your life. So I would say from one to five, we were learning a routine and we were learning rhythm. Now, then we would go from five to 10, okay, the first decade. I want you to get this. Everyone say the times, the seasons. And remember that word time simply is chronos. That, that is chronological time. I want you to begin to think of your life in decades. And so I'll never forget when Jude started school. Good Lord. We, we put a suit on him. I walked in the class. You would thought he, I was taking him to Stanford or something, but it wasn't. And then I thought, okay, I know what I need to do for these next five years. I have to choose his friends for him because he's not wise enough to pick the right people for friendship. And so he was more shy. Now, Jack, we picked up Jude's son. This kid knows everyone. See you later, Landon. Yeah, tomorrow we'll hang out. Well, Jude was shy, you know, and because I'd ask him, what did you do today? Nothing. Did you meet anyone? No. You know, and I thought, my goodness, I have to help him. So the next day I thought, who are the coolest kids in this class? And, and you say, how did we determine that? It wasn't just their hair. I looked at their parents. If the parents were weird, the kids were weird. So I thought, who are the coolest parents? And I thought, okay, Landon, will you be Jude's friend? Colby, will you be Jude's friend? Eric, will you be Jude's friend? I said, Richard, will you guys all play basketball together? I said, here, by the way, I bought you each a bag of Skittles if you play basketball with Jude. I kid you not, all four of those boys became his best friends. Okay, everyone say decades. And so get this, I want you to get this. Think of it, when he became 10, everyone say routine rhythm. And you should chat that if you're experiencing God online, routine and rhythm. Now, let me tell you, I broke my rhythm because when he got to be about fifth grade, sixth grade, when he turned 10, because I dropped Jake off at his class, I dropped John off at his class, I said, come on, Jude. I said, no, give me your hand. He's going, dad, I'm not giving you my hand. I go, come on, I'm walking. He goes, dad, I'm going into sixth grade. I really don't need you to hold my hand anymore. I thought, oh, okay, you know, and I went back to the car and cried, you understand? <laughs> now, I, I really want you to begin to get this. Really, when you go from one to 10, there is something you should teach your kids. There's going to be a routine and a rhythm 
because you're graduating and getting them prepared to the second decade, which is teenagers. And that's in between age. And you can't have the same routine with a teenager that you do with a five-year-old. So you have to, for a different rhythm, or you're going to be stepping on their foot and God knows they're going to be stepping on your foot and there's going to be complications. But then we prepare them and we get them ready for the twenties. I would say for anyone in here, if you're in your twenties, that is a decade where you should be literally learning, learning who you are, learning why God created you. There are two important days in anyone's life. Number one, the day that you were born. Number two, the day you discover why you were born. And can I say that is an important thing. And you know, when you begin to do that is in your twenties. You know, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to college, I think I changed my major about seven times. I started off, I was pre-med. Oh, I am going to be a doctor. Okay. Next semester, pre-law, too much work in pre-med. Next semester, uh, I think I'm going to try theater. Uh, that didn't work out either. I ended up graduating with a degree in business administration. Why? Because your 20s is where you should be discerning, discovering, developing, trying many different things that you begin to discover who you are and why you're breathing on this earth. Come on. Now in your 30s, what you should begin to do is perfect that which you learned in your 20s. In your 40s, you become a Jedi Knight, Obi-Wan Kenobi, in what you're supposed to be doing. People would come to me. You see, I was a youth pastor from 25 to like 45. And people would come and say, oh, Pastor Jude, how did you build this youth ministry? I said, I stayed in this one church almost 20 years. If you want this, then stay there and develop it. It may take a decade to grow into something great. Are you with me on that? Now, your 50s is really cool. You begin to really reap. Your 50s, and look at me. People, my goodness, I'm in my 60s. So that means I've been 10, 20, 30, 40. Where's time gone? 50, now I'm in my 60s. You know what's cool about being 50? You begin to reap in your 50s what you sowed all the other decades. Thank you for that. Amen. <laughs> now, you know what's cool about 60s? And I'm just a year into it. You get to guide people. You know, people call me out. Hey, do you think I should do this? And I said, don't do that. I did that when I was 20. And that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. <laughs> or they'll bring, hey, Pastor Jude, I want you to meet my girlfriend. What do you think? I said, uh-uh, she's not the one. It's a devil in a blue dress. Get it right. No, no, come on. <laughs> Or, or a young lady, hey, Pastor Drew, what do you think? He's cute, he has muscles, and he has a nice smile. He's living on his mother's couch. Run away from him. <laughs> Are you with me on that? I, my favorite thing is Pastor Jude. He, he's really cool, and he makes money, and he loves me. I said, but he doesn't go to church. He's going to be like the shopping cart. Three great, great wills, but that one that has a demon on it. You know? <laughs> Are you with me? I love being in my 60s. Now, a problem with being in your 60s, I think everyone wants my advice. My three sons, 32, 30, and 28, they recently told me when we were in Hawaii, they said, Dad, we do not want you to tell us your opinions. I said, my opinions are valuable. <laughs> they said, we, I go, how would you know what I think? They said, we already know what you think. 
If we want your opinion, we will ask. In, in, until then, talk about anything but your opinion inside. Okay. <laughs> Everyone say times and season. Say again. Let me tell you. Everything, there's a chronos, but there's a kairos. Let me tell you what we did. Each of the boys, when they turned 13, because for us, 13 meant that they were going from childhood or being a boy to being a man. We would do a very specific thing where them and I would go away. It was like a bar mitzvah. And so John and I, we went to Whistler Mountain, and they have the only zip line in North America at this height. And I stood on the mountain, and man, this, this moved me. I don't know about you. But when I became, when I lost my dad, I knew this, that I would be there for my kids and that I wasn't going to miss moments. And you can't always plan a divine moment, but you can be there at every turn in their life and God himself will make heavenly moments. And so we stood on the mountain. I said, John, this mountain represents your childhood, your boyhood. And I was there when you were born. I said, but I'm going to zip line to that other mountain. That represents your manhood. And I'm going to be waiting for you. And I said, we are men. Now, remember, we're going to this next point. Begin with the end in mind. You see, I was thinking even then, what type of man did I want to raise? What type of son? Who did I want him to be? What did I want him to know? How did I want him to live? And I said, I'm going to meet you on that other mountain. Can I say right now, life? is overarching. If you, in one season in your life, let me just, I want to stop and say this because I don't want to be condemnatory because come on, let's face it. My parents really didn't raise us. They did some amazing things, but they did some things that were jacked up, okay? And some of you, maybe your first 10 years of your life, the first decade was from hell. Maybe even as you got close to your 20s, a little bit more. You went from hell to maybe a purgatory, if you will. But can I tell you, one of the beautiful things about coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, even if it was your own choice that began to sabotage a season in your life, our God is a God who goes to the end and he could bring you where you need to be. And I'm going to let you know where we're going as we're going to be ending. God is able to raise you up, repair you, rebuild you to become who he created in his mind, in his heart, for you at the beginning. Come on. Are you with me on that? And so I want you now to go to this scripture with me. This is Acts 15, 18. Acts 15, 18, one of my favorite scriptures. In Acts 15, 18, it says, known to God, I love this, known to God from eternity are all his works. I want to say that again. Known to God, and at the end of this talk, this message, this sermon, I'm going to tell you what known means. So put a circle around that. Known to God from eternity are all his ways. You know what that means? God went to the end, and then he just rewound. Can I tell you, you're starting a business plan? A business plan gets conceived in the mind of an individual. But you have to go to the end. What do I really want this business to be? And you have to go to the end, then you have to work all the way back. So you have to begin with the end of mind. I want to read it again. It says, known to God from eternity. So before you were born, before your parents, who maybe were good or not good, 
before that first boyfriend or girlfriend did this or that, before anything, before mask or no mask, before anything, God knew his works from eternity. Are you with me? Now, one other scripture, and this is it. One other scripture, and this is it. Go to Romans chapter 4, and I want to just read this to complement Acts 15, 18, known to God from eternity or all his works. Romans 14, not 14, 4, Romans 4, 17 and 18. Romans 4, 17 and 18. Here it goes, 17. As it is written, I, God, have made you, Abraham, the father of many nations. Whoa, he couldn't even have a child. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives it, who gives life to the dead. I love that this is a part. This is Acts 15, 18. This is complimenting. It's like Acts 15, 18 is a chip. I'm giving you some salsa and guacamole right here, okay? So here it goes. He says, and I love this. He says, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Did you get that? So Abraham began to operate like God. He called things that didn't exist as though they did. He went to the end and the end would be that he'd become a father of many nations. Then he brought the end into his present and he began to declare, no, I'm the father of many nations. So therefore it became his reality. Are you with me? Now, I, I want you to know this. Maybe your parents or you as parents, mom and dad, maybe you didn't start with the end, begin with the end in mind. But guess who did? God. And when we come into a relationship with God, even if we miss some of the seasons of our lives, God is able to take us to the end and we have a new start and a fresh start and he could raise us up, rebuild us and repair us. Okay, I need to tell you about my Rio. This is my Jake's oldest boy. Rio's three and a half, and he's really into superheroes. He was into Green Goblin. And so he, he and I go, who are you? Rio, get over here. He go, I'm not Rio. He go, I Green Goblin. And so now his new kick, he goes, Daddy, that's Jake. He goes, Daddy, you Batman, I'm Robin. So they FaceTimed me yesterday. And I go, Jake, what's up? He goes, Rio wants to talk to you. He goes, I, I Robin, Daddy Batman. He goes, Jude, you joker. <laughs> I go, I am not the joker. I said, the joker is a bad guy. He goes, joker, bad guy? I go, yeah, plus he's ugly. And I'm good looking. He go, who are you? I said, your daddy's Batman. You're Robin. I'm Alfred the butler who's always helping your dad and you. You cape crusader. Are you with me? Now, you know, it's amazing. He's going to grow out of that. And eventually he's going to begin to discover why he's breathing I want you to know, can you remember the boys? I say, draw what you think you're going to be. Jude in third grade, true story. He colored what he thought he was going to do with his future. I, I thought, my gosh, what is it? My goodness. Can I tell you, I think that's sometimes what God does with us. Here, Lord, here's my vision. You know, and he's going, son, daughter, what is this? You know? And then, but kid you not, in third grade, Jude came. It had some green hills, really not good. 
definitely not a Picasso, not a Rembrandt, not a Rococo. I mean, it was the ugliest coloring you've ever seen. And then it had some stick figures. And then it had another person and had like, it looked like, I go, what's this? He goes, that's the Bible. I said, who's this? He goes, that's me. I go, well, where are you? He goes, I'm in China and I'm preaching to people. Well, hmm. That may be God. Well, he didn't make it to China, but he's a youth pastor in Vacaville and he's doing pretty good. Are you with me? Now this, and we won't go much longer. I want you to get this. As a pastor, you get to do some amazing things in life. And everybody can be a pastor today. You're getting married. You want your best friend to marry you. They don't even have to believe in God. And they could get a minister's license online and officiate your wedding. But the IRS says these are three things that if you're going to get a minister's license, that this should be happening. Number one, if someone's sick, you should go and visit them. And we do when it's not COVID. I, I've got, can I stop and tell you guys a testimony? They had a young man. We were in Maui. It was my last day. And I get a phone call saying that Jason Decker is on a ventilator fighting for his life with COVID. And so immediately I sat down in Maui and I thought it would take me about an hour. And I text everyone in my phone log, contact list that knew Jason and said, pray he's on a ventilator. You could ask Steve, you could ask my wife about three and a half weeks ago on Thursday. You should come to Thursday prayer. And if you can't, we live stream it, live stream it. We live streamed our prayer meeting here in Ventura to his ICU room in Oakland, California. He is on a ventilator, which is kind of, it's overwhelming. And I said, Jason, this is Pastor Jude. You're sedated, so your mind can't hear me. But I know your spirit can hear me. And I'm here to declare to you, you're going to live and not die. And you're going to make it. You hear me? And I am praying. I want you to hear my voice. Within 24 hours, the, his lungs, infection, begin to dissipate. The fever left. All I can tell you is this week, he's at home, he's eating, he's drinking, he's with his family. What I did not know, that 40 people, when they put him on a ventilator, 40 other people were put on a vent that day, and only three of them lived, and he was the worst one that they intubated. And you say, how can that be? Can I tell you, there is something about a church that prays for one another. Come on, that's what we do. Now, another one is we get to officiate people's weddings, which is really cool. Now, another one, it, it could really rip your heart, but it's doing funerals. And, and so, that usually this is how it goes. It's usually a funeral or a celebration service. Did you hear what I said? Do you know there's a difference? There's sometimes, you know, I think I've officiated uh, over 100 funerals in a 35-year period. And so, there's sometimes... At the end of the person's life, they, they've lived really bad for most of their life. And let me define bad. Hurting people, living for self, sabotaging relationships. And at the end, thank God they accept Christ. But when people get up to say something about him, no, I've never been in a family where someone gets up and says, you know what? Uncle Joe was an idiot. <laughs> They never do that. They, they're going to try to, Uncle Drew, he was good at Christmas only, you know. 
But then there were other people that when they passed away, their life was so incredible, loving people, reaching people, sacrificial, that their life became a celebration. And that is one of the most amazing things. And you say, when did you begin to start to think with the end in mind at my dad's funeral? I'm 16, 16 year old shouldn't even be thinking about this. In Louisiana, they have long funerals. It was for three days. And they come up, person after person in my southern hometown. Your dad was a good man. Your dad was generous. Your dad helped my son go to school. Your dad paid for my uh, semester at college. And person after person, and in that point, I thought, you know what? Can I tell you, young people, there are things that happen. I think when you're 10 years old, for God's sake, you should be 10 and not 20. And when you're 20, you shouldn't try to be 50. But life isn't always fair and kind. There are times in life that when you're 10, you're forced to be 20. Or when you're 16, you're forced to think in a different way. And in that moment, my life went to the end. And I thought, what will they say of me when I breathe my last? And it's not going to be that he's selfish. Come on, let's think about it. Oh, he was wealthy. Then he breathed his last. He had a million followers on social media. Then he breathed his last. Oh, he was anointed. Then he breathed his last. How about this? He knew God and God literally worked something supernatural in his life. The God who knew him from the beginning, I mean the beginning from the end, did something powerful in him and he loved people and influenced people. I want to make a difference in this world. Are you with me on that? Now, the band's going to come up. I want you to get this. Everyone, I want to read this again. Known to God from all eternity are all his words. Now, look at me. Watch. Watch me. Watch me. Known to God from all eternity are all his words. You know what? God knew you before you took your first breath. He knew when you sat. He knew when you would stand. He knew he has a book about you. And he knew when a good word or a bad word. He knew if you were made your bed in hell, if you went to the highest mount. He could never leave you. He could never forsake you. He loves you. And from the, he literally worked all that. And he could work it together for your good. Are you with me? You know, get this. That statement, this is where we're ending. That statement, known to God from eternity or all his works. Guess where it comes from? Three different prophets. It comes from Jeremiah. It comes from Isaiah, and it comes from Amos. That statement, when Luke's writing it, he didn't just write, oh, this sounds good, known to God, from all eternity, or all his words. It comes from those three prophets. Now, guess what they're, guess what they're doing? They're prophesying to a people that are in exile, kind of like the world we're living in today. And so I want you to begin to hear this. In Jeremiah 12, 14 to 17, he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to literally pluck them out. Have you ever been in a situation you need to just be lifted up? I remember one time this one kid was going to hit my Jude and I showed up and go, uh-uh, not today. I literally rescued him. Now get this one. I will return. I will have compassion. I will bring them a heritage. They will learn and they will be established. You know what Isaiah is saying? I'm going to give you hope when you have none. So when some seasons of life 
have been really destroyed, God comes and says, hey, wait a minute. I know the end to the beginning. And where you have no hope, I'm going to bring you hope. I am hope. And I'm going to pull you into the right season. Are you with me? Now, another one. Get this one. This is Isaiah 45, 15 to 25. And listen to what it says. You are God. You save with an everlasting salvation. Stop right there. This is worthy of smoking right here. I mean, somebody has to get this. You are God who saves and your salvation is everlasting. If he started the work, he is going to complete the work until Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Now get this. You will not be ashamed. You will not be disgraced. He who, get this, he who created the heavens and brought the world who was not inhabited because it was in a world of water. He created it out of nothing whereas people could live on the earth. Sometimes there are parts of our lives that literally cannot be inhabited because the enemy has destroyed. But God is a God who is going to recreate you and where literally your life is going to have a Genesis week. You know, I recently was at someone's house. Their daughter had an engagement party. Probably the most perfect outlandish engagement party you'd ever go to. You know, I don't know how it is to have a girl, but if I had a girl, that's the exact engagement party. I'd have sold the farm to give her that engagement party. I was talking to the mom because I knew the mother, probably the first two decades of her life, the enemy really tried to take out. Really didn't have the mom or dad that a girl or a boy should have. But I looked. I said, look at our God. When things are destroyed, he's able, like Isaiah says, to create something out of nothing. Why? Because he sees the end. And then he works all the way back. And he says, I'm going to do it. The last one is Amos. And I just want to read this to you. It says, on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down, and I will repair its damages. I stand before you, a person that was damaged goods. But God is in the repairing business. And I will raise up its ruins, and I will rebuild it as in the days of old. God is a God because he sees the end, and he works back. He's able to repair, to raise up, and rebuild. And I don't care what you've gone through. Maybe you are a prodigal. Maybe you've been turned off to church, Jesus, and the whole thing. God is able to rebuild, to repair, and to restore. That is our God. Are you with me? And he's saying out, with the enemy meant to destroy you. Come on. The devil will take something and destroy it. But God is in the business. God can take nothing and create something out of it. What does life? Come on, what does sometimes family, what does culture, what is happening even in our day where you can't even turn on the television without getting so stressed out? You, you, literally, the enemy, and I want to say something. I am proud that I was born in the United States of America. And I want to say I'm proud that I'm an American. And I sit sometimes and I watch where our nation's at. America is something 
But it's like the forces of darkness are trying to take something and make nothing out of her. But God is a God who can take nothing and make something out of nothing all by himself. He can repair it, he can rebuild it, and he can raise it up. And I don't know where you're at today, but I've made a decision. I am now in a new decade. And I'm entering the 60s like a banshee in a storm. And I'm not going to let my 50s, my 40s, my 30s, my 20s ever stop me. No. He's the one who looked to the end. And he said, now this is bad. This guy is something. Come on. Are you with me? Can you shout, stand up, give the Lord a praise? Now, I want you to say it in your mind, online here, known to God. Just, you can say it in your mind, or you can say it out loud. I'm not going to restrict you. Known to God from all eternity or all his ways. In Acts 15, 18, you should circle that word, know in the Hebrew and Greek, it's the most intimate word. You read it, especially if you read it in New King James. Oh, King James. Abraham knew Sarah. Isaac knew Rebekah. Jude knew Rebekah. Now, that means to make love to. That is a covenant term. And I'm just meditating on that verse, just meditating like chewing gum, trying to get all the flavor out of Acts 15, 18. Known to God from all eternity are all his words. I took two steps back in my head. I was sitting down at my house. I thought, Lord, before I was born, before there was a world, before there was an America or a president or not, before there was a California, you not only knew about me, you knew me intimately. God, you knew me in my darkness, but you loved me to the galaxy. God, you knew me when I was lying in the dirt, but you lifted me up. God, you knew me. You knew me, Lord, and you still chose me. I wasn't someone from Nordstrom. I came from a thrift store, and you knew me and you chose me such knowledge changes me humbles me transforms me come on now I want you to begin to think about this if you talk to a Buddhist I have many friends that are Buddhists and you ask them tell us explain eternal life they will say it's like when all the people gain enlightenment and they kind of go up and become the omni-intelligence of the universe. Others would say, like Catholics, when they talk about eternal life, that you have to be baptized, you have to do communion, all these things. Hope he made it, light a candle. Now, guess how Jesus describes eternal life? John 17, 3. This is eternal life. This is it, that they may know you. Gnoso. They may be in a relationship with you. But how can that be? He's infinite, I'm finite. He's the numbers, I'm the alphabet. He is holy, God knows I'm not. 
because the numbers who don't have a beginning they do not have an end became the alpha and the omega that me my very life that has a beginning one day will have an end can have a relationship with infinite God forever and ever because he's known me now I can know him can you say amen amen now we gotta go Chick-fil-A's closed you're gonna have to go to Taco Bell sorry I want to do this I want you to maybe no Put your hand on your heart. What's well, going to do this? You know, they kind of do that sometimes at core power. You know, I, I want to lead you in this practice. Whether you're a mom or dad or not, I don't know where you're at in your journey. But I am going to speak that God is going to raise you up. He is going to repair you. And he's going to rebuild you. The second thing, if you are a parent, I love being a parent. I loved it. I so wanted it to last forever, but it's not a reality. One of my sons, I've been having a vision because I thought I am not going to let his present moment dictate who he is. I'm going to go to the end and I'm going to take a glimpse of that ending shot, that last frame, and I'm going to freeze it then I'm going to go all the way back to this season. And you know what I saw in that ending frame? My boy's hands were lifted. And he was worshiping our God. And so right now, I pray for anyone. Maybe you're a prodigal here. Maybe you've walked away from God. Shut your eyes. Go to the end. See them worshiping our God. You say, well, they're not worthy, but he is. God is worthy. God is worthy, and he is high and lifted up. And we say now, God, for us who have children, God, we go to the end, and they're going to be mighty worshipers of Jesus Christ in any arena that you take them into, any endeavor that their hands find to do, they will be known as worshipers of God. Now, Lord, I come and I do the work of repairing. I pray for the man or a woman who lost some things in decades, oh Lord. And I come now with an authority and a medicine, oh God, to heal, to repair, to restore, to rebuild. And I raise you up. I lift you up. That's what your God would do. That's who he is in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Last thing we're praying today. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you believe, and that's awesome. But you really don't know. I know of President Biden. I know of the former President Trump. I've never met them. I want to introduce you to God. And, and what you're going to do when I count to three, you said, I believe in God, but I've never entered into a relationship or made him number one, the Lord of my life. When I count to three, you're going to raise your hand. And that's just going to signify what you're feeling in your heart. And so when I count to three, you're going to raise your hand. I want Jesus Christ in my life. I want him to come and I want to have a relationship with him. One, on three, you're going to raise your hand. Two, three, just raise your hand right now. I want to enter. I want to have a relationship with God. Just raise your hand wherever you're at. We want to pray for you. And let's just do this. Everyone say, Jesus, forgive me. Coming to my heart. Lord, I'm a fixer-upper. There's a lot of work for you to repair. Come on in. Make yourself at home in me and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.
We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.